It's time for Knox Talk, a behind-the-scenes look at the business side of college sports. Featuring Paul Sickman from Knox Sports and Brandon Parks from the Vol Network. Now for today's show. Welcome, folks, to another edition of Knox Talk. Today is Wednesday, the 26th of April, and I am always joined by my great friend Brandon Parks from the University of Tennessee. Good afternoon, buddy. Hey, good afternoon. Hope you're doing well, Paul. It's a great time of year. Spring football's wrapping up. College baseball's in full swing. Uh, and off-season workouts begin. And, and for us, it's a really busy time of year as we start to think about Labor Day and the impending uh, college football season. Yeah, I mean, this is the actual time when all the deals uh, hopefully get done, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Today, we're going to talk about closing the deal, and thankfully, uh, if our wives are listening, uh, we are not going to be talking about the fictitious 12 beers in a great line collegiate-era close that you and I both experienced at some point. We're going to talk about actually closing sponsorship contracts because we're not on this uh, podcast to lie. Um, Brandon, you have a huge advantage over me because you're selling something that is just way more defined than I am. You're pitching actual definitive inventory, uh, and, and it's the backbone of that inventory is an incredibly popular product for the University of Tennessee. It is, and uh, I think that's what gets us in a lot of doors to begin with, is yeah. uh, this incredible fan base that we have, like a lot of other colleges and universities have across the country, and it, it's certainly a conversation starter. And we like to think that um, it's a good business proposition as well. So certainly gets us indoors. Yeah. Our, our challenge is, is that we don't have that necessarily for the two types. We have two types of closing we do at Knox Sports. So the first part is when we're in the most challenging, far away the most challenging, is when we're selling basically us. We're selling a service that is not easily defined. We're telling them, hey, we can do what we do better than what you're currently doing and the way you're currently doing it is much harder. That's harder to sell because we're selling a concept. It's really difficult. The second one is easier because that's when I'm maybe I'm selling your stuff. Uh, you know, the second one is we've already got the business. Uh, they trust us to do this and we have negotiated a contract and then we have to go in and sell it just like you do. We have to resell what we have negotiated with the folks like you all over the country. But in both cases, it's not a layup to get a signature, right? It's no, just not. Right. That's right. And, and you're in a unique position because you really sit on both sides of the table, in theory, uh, selling your services to, to clients across the country and then also selling the services I have to those clients. So right. Right. Um, your perspective on it's pretty unique in that regard. Yeah. I mean, we, we have had... We have had some nightmares. I was going to tell, I mean, I'm not sure we were supposed to tell bad stories, but I have one, I thought about this last night when we were, when I knew this was going to be the podcast, I was remembering one story we had. We we have a national brand that is based here in the Bay Area that, that we went and visited with three, four, five times. Finally, they agreed to, to, to trust us to do their work. And so they signed a one-year agreement with us to represent them. Uh, which was great. Signed the contract one year. Great. I uh, got the data service. Then they gave us two projects, one local Tampa Bay lightning. Great. Gave us another project, Baltimore, the Ravens uh, NFL team gave us a budget said, go do it. Uh, and so we knew what we had to do. We knew what we were trying to accomplish. We had a budget. We had the two teams. That's easy. We went out, spent the next two or three months, negotiated two what we felt like were incredibly innovative, new, brand new concept deals 
handed them the contracts and they said, okay, uh, thank you very much. We'll get back to you. Phone call, phone call, wouldn't meet. Um, just time, 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 tick, 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 tick. One year and one day later, they signed the contracts with the teams and cut us out. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a bad story. Just as you said, <laughs> uh, it's a bad one. Uh, I wonder if there was something in particular that was unique about one year and one day. Maybe they, they felt better that it was over a year. Well, we had a one year contract with them. So they let that contract expire and then did it on their own. That's, we don't have a lot of bad stories, Brandon. Most of our clients are ethical. Most of our clients uh, are, are good people and, and like all of them are. And we're very happy with, with our client base and what we do for them and very proud of it. But it's, it's still difficult, not only to close new clients, but also to get deals done. So I, I wanted to ask you a couple kind of general questions that when you can dive in if you want. When you have the meeting where you've actually presented the finished product, right? You've given them the contract or you've given them the entire proposal that wants you to lead to a contract. Do you then send a gift? Do you send merchandise or do you bring it with you? When do you, I know you have to use that. Everyone wants your stuff, right? When do right. you do that? Do you use that as kind of a closing element? Now, I do not use it as a closer. Typically, you know, when you, you go through the whole sales process from the prospecting piece to that first initial meeting of fact finding and discussion and getting to know one another, um, and then to the proposal stage where you actually go out and present. Typically, if we're going to give a gift of some kind, it will occur during one of those two initial face-to-face -face meetings. Um, I'm a much bigger believer when it's time to close uh, of handwritten notes um, to, to mail the clients. You are old school. Thank them for, well, here's my story behind handwritten notes. Only the most bet, only the best and most successful people that I know still do it. And there's a reason they do it. So if they have the time, then I can make time to do it. But I think it's thoughtful at that point to thank someone for the time investment that they've made in the conversation and for the consideration. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want it to come across if I were to gift someone something in the closing stage that, I, that I'm using it uh, to try to get the deal done. Uh, I hope that I've, I've done the work that needs to be done to where we've earned the business at that point. So, okay, great. And I love that. I mean, handwritten notice. I mean, especially now when you get almost nothing in the mail anymore, to get that, it is special. You're right. It's probably better than, or maybe not better, but it certainly means more than, than another orange something that, uh, that came out from the prize closet. So timing-wise, um, where, where do you land? Do you have a specific, I mean, I know, I mean, because the most successful piece for us, could answer, I'm going to answer the question before I kind of finish asking it, but if I am able to get a specific date like you finish that, whatever that presentation is, whether it's selling ourselves or selling, you know, a deal. And I say, listen, let's get together in two weeks, in three weeks, on a day, on a time. Um, that's the most successful piece I have in terms of getting to the next step. But if I don't have that, if I have a client that says, oh, we're, you know, just give us some time, we'll get back to you. It, boy, more often than not, it's, it's a struggle. What's the old saying? Time kills deals. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's that delicate balance there of, okay, we've put this on the table. It's now time for you to go back and have discussion and have some thought around it and then ultimately make a decision. And so we, we walk that fine line of coming up 
with what is the ideal response time. You know, typically I would say a couple of weeks is is the time frame that I'll use. Um, but a lot of it just depends on who you're speaking with. If, if you're talking to a local business owner in this community who is the sole decision maker, they pretty much know walking away from that proposal meeting whether they're going to buy that deal or not. Right. In most instances. And so you, you've got the opportunity there to strike a little bit quicker five to seven day period. Um, I, I think we, we walk that delicate balance of not trying to smother someone into a decision, reaching out too much to get an answer. So I think you just have to be thoughtful around that. And the way that I've always done it is just put myself in their shoes. If I was trying to make this decision, what, what is the correspondence that I would want to hear and in the right time frame that I would want to have that? Um, some conversations are going to take much longer if there's a full team that's involved or if it has to be sold through to upper management or what have you. So it's really case by case. Uh, but in any case, I really feel like the two to three week period max, uh, you should have some dialogue and some feedback. If something goes cold for a month, then we've lost momentum somewhere. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, it, and it's, but you're so right in terms of it's almost how far away the client is from your office is how far, how long it kind of is dictated, right? If you got someone that's, that's right there local, yeah, it feels really normal to talk to them within a week. And, but I can't tell you how many folks that I deal with that are more national in scope. And it feels like it's always three weeks to a month and a half. And you're right, it's so hard because momentum is just gone. You know, I mean, yeah. you have this feeling you're moving and they like what you're that you're pitching, whether it's a concept or whether you've got a full fledged proposal and it's all there. And then they say, that's great. We're going to be out of town for the next couple of weeks. We're getting everyone back together and, you know, in another month and a half. And you're like, OK, but you feel you already feel bad because, you know, in six weeks, this is not going to smell the same. No, that's right. Um, and I'll tell you one, one tip that for sellers out there that helps us during that closing stage uh, we'll try in as many instances as we can to have that final meeting of the presentation of the proposal and the investments and so forth and all the details. We try our very best to do that on campus where we can get them in our environment, in our world. They can see the behind the scenes uh, of the athletics department. And, and if it makes sense and it's, in, and it's going to be included in a presentation, we'll actually mock up and turn on signage inside our venues and then walk them in uh, to the big surprise and reveal. And more times than not, if we can get someone to campus, our ability to close business goes up significantly. I get it. I don't disagree. I mean, that's, I mean, we have, you know, countless schools and teams that do those mock-ups for us when we arrive. And I, I love it. I, I'm not the ultimate decision maker. Of course, we're basically negotiating for, someone else, but to be able to bring that alive and, you know, take pictures, et cetera, and bring that back is even meaningful in that it's, it's secondhand, but it still works. I, I wanted to ask you about the whole in-person thing because it's a pet peeve of mine because I still, I think it's getting worse and worse and worse as we become more accustomed to Zoom and email and impersonal nature of relationships. I, I still feel like in person is just a 90% yes, you know? I mean, if I, good golly, if I can be there for the close, if I can be with you, I feel much better because it's just so easy, especially in an email to say no, a little bit harder to Zoom to say no, and almost impossible in person if you agree to visit with me in person. And if I can set that in-person meeting up 
as the next step, hey, let's get together in three weeks. I feel great. Yeah, that nothing can replace being in person live with someone. Um, and, and I'll be honest, that's always the first goal is to be able to meet in person. And, you know, second goal for me is can I get them to campus uh, in person? Uh, I want to be able to do as much of this in person as I can because it's all about relationship building. And there's an appropriate place for email for follow up email for sending the presentation uh, that you papered and presented uh, at the time, but nothing can replace in person. Unfortunately, as our world evolves, what, what we see a lot more is, hey, let's just jump on a Zoom call. Um, and, and while there is a camera and there is communication going back and forth, it's not like being in person. It's not. Um, I, we, have, we have a client, um, we, we, this, this was a client in Texas and this this lady was awesome in person but she did not answer her phone ever it was always voicemail emails often went unanswered i mean nine out of ten went unanswered and we had multiple contracts and multiple executions so we finally the only way we solved the problem was to fly to texas three times a year to be in person now when we were in person unbelievable responsive signed contracts things were happening and we had just two or three hours of incredible dialogue and problem solving and signatures and stuff and so that was the solution you know it just it was for this particular person uh all the modern trappings weren't working and the in-person piece and so we had to evolve or else we would not have gotten anything done yeah and this goes to the whole communication of the sales process we have to discern and find out what is the most effective way to reach people. Some people, as you mentioned, are really bad about returning phone calls and email, but you can text them and they'll hit you right back. Mm -hmm. And then other people are the other way that their text inbox fills up so much that they get behind on that. But if you send them an email, they're very good at managing their inbox. And then that's sort of that sales process as a seller. You've got to you got to determine what's the most effective way and timely way to communicate with people. Um, and, and all of this is so much talk about closing and in-person meetings. It, it's all this delicate ba balance act, balancing act and almost a dance um, to figure out what is the most effective way to reach this person and then communicate that we truly believe we can help their business by getting involved with our sports program. Um, yeah. no, you're and right. Sort of is that challenge. part of the notes now? I mean, do you have when you have a client, do you have a client that says, hey, Tom Smith, such and such a company, text. Do you have that as your, like, oh, your I client? I, yeah. I absolutely do. And, and in a lot of instances, I will ask the question, hey, if I need to reach you, what's the most effective way for me to do so? Right. You know, especially if you're talking to a business owner or a CEO uh, or someone that, that has a significant role and responsibility within their company, um, their time means everything to them. And, you know, I, I don't want to be the guy that fills up the inbox just because they're slow to respond. So, uh, and, and more times than not, it's fascinating. A lot of them prefer text. And, yeah, and, which, which would, and it's funny because it's all about the person, right? That would, that would drive me crazy. It, it feels very informal and non-business-like. Right. But I've got multiple CEOs that say, just text me. Right. That's the best way to get me. And, and then you also have individuals that have multiple cell phones. 
and some have a business phone and a personal phone. Right. It's fascinating to see which one they want you to communicate with them on. Right. If you get the personal phone, you're in. That deal's closed. You're absolutely. <laughs> in. So let me let me let me turn around and ask you this question. Once you have gone through, you're representing a client. You're negotiating with a school on a sponsorship. There's been a lot of dialogue through the process. You get the asset mix exactly where you want it. You've got the proposal in hand, and now it's time to make the yes or no decision. What are you, as the buyer in this case, what are you hoping to secure or potentially gain during the closing process? Are you still trying to negotiate so that when you go back to your client, hey, I got you the very best deal. I negotiated to the contract stage. And what is your mindset going into that? Because I can tell you as sellers, we think about that a lot of, okay, how are they going to respond? What are the questions? Are there going to be any more assets they're going to ask for? Is there going to be any tweaking of the proposals, tweaking of the financials? What, give us some insight from a buyer's perspective. Yeah, that, that, that's good. Thank you for that. I, I will tell you that I don't want, I will tell the school, the property, whoever, I will tell them if there's still negotiation to be done. I will be very open and honest about that. I will say, because I will say, listen, I don't know where we're going to finish, but I want to present. If that's the case, that is very rarely the case. Usually I go in and I have a very clear idea of what the number is going to be. I know what the goal is going to be. I know what the objectives are going to be. And so if we get to the spot where we are finished presenting, we have got a, a baked cake, I will go to the client and we're going to present it as this is done. Okay. And if the client comes back and says, I'm struggling, okay, then I did my job wrong in the beginning. I mean, that's, that's honestly, from our perspective, our, we should know if there's going to be a financial hardship, um, even if it's a small one, 10,000, 20,000 on a 200,000 or, you know, 5,000 on a 50, whatever. If this is small deal, that's our job to know that stuff. So uh, it doesn't happen very often. But if I feel I, I have some clients and I can think of a couple that no matter what we present, they want to have one more bite of the apple. Yeah. And so I will tell the team in those cases, you know, we're not done. I'm going to present this, but be prepared. Right. Okay. And so, so you're, I, very, you're very transparent. Very, because I don't want the team to think like, because sometimes, and you know this, and we can talk, this is not a different podcast, but the last items, when you have that situation, you know, we're at a $200,000 deal and we've got, and we're still off by five, 10 grand, whatever it is. We start looking at inventory and that becomes the most painful part of the entire negotiation is those little tiny things that we're either adding or subtracting to get to the I finish agree. line, right? I agree. And it becomes incredibly important when it shouldn't be. You know, we start talking about, oh, well that costs us this. Oh, that's good. Oh, we can't do that. And so we just go back and forth and it's ugly. And that, that, that little tiny minutia to get to the finish line is terrible. So if I can avoid that, I will. So that's why I try to be really transparent to the school or the property and say, Listen, I know you think this is the best you can do right now. I'm going to tell you, we're probably going to come back one more time. And, and this is what it's going to be. Here's the range. And because if I don't do that, then that last piece, those last conversations, the, then it becomes a true back and forth. And I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish more people would be transparent. I can deal with transparency. I can negotiate with transparency. Um, on, the, on the seller side, representing the school, Obviously, both sides want to feel good about any agreement 
that you verbalize mm -hmm. and move to contract. And you don't want to feel like that you were taken advantage of just to get the agreement done. So it's that, again, uh, the delicate balance is the key phrase of the day for me. But in that final negotiation stage, I know that I'm willing to go so far additionally to help get the deal done. But there is that tipping point. And we've we've had to use this in the past where we sit down and say, hey, we're, we're at a place where this maybe is not as good of a deal for us as it once was. And you have to be willing to walk away. Uh, and then that is, as a seller, that's incredibly hard, very right. difficult. Certainly after you've poured your time and your heart and your energy into something and you truly believe in it, um, but it's got to be fair to both sides. Right. And, and then furthermore, you've got to be able to look all your other sponsors in the eye and say, I treated everyone fairly. Right. And, you know, we use that a lot. Is, Although it is, may not be 100% true. I mean, every, not, you know, every deal is a little bit different. There's nuances, but you're right, Brandon. And, and but yeah, that's a great question. But I, we can't, I mean, I couldn't live that way. I have, I have certainly, I've had deals where you've gone back and forth a couple of times, but that it just, all of a sudden you've elevated something in that contract. that wasn't even, a, it was an afterthought and it's becoming the most painful piece of the entire yeah. agreement to get to the finish line. I, I, I'm sure you have a story or two. I have a fun one um, of either what caused the closing or where you lost the closing. You got a good one? Um, the best one I've got was the fastest closing I ever had. Okay. Uh, and and we, we had a prospect in the insurance category uh, who um, for the longest time, our insurance category was was really held by one client and had, had been for 20 plus years. And over those, over that course of time, that, that insurance company started stepping back and stepping down from an investment standpoint and from an engagement standpoint. And so we got to this place where we could have some conversations uh, with others in the category. Um, and so I drove across the state of Tennessee to meet with the CEO uh, of this insurance company and, and went in and, and said, for the first time in 20 years, I can finally discuss signage within Neyland Stadium with you. And so today I've brought you essentially uh, a presentation that covers every possible asset, has our pricing in there and so forth. Um, so I go through the presentation. There's a lot of questions, a lot of back and forth. We get to the end and he immediately says, I'll take this, this and this. Send me the contract. <laughs> and and the rest you could say is history but it was I, I didn't even have to ask for the order uh which you know at some point we all have to ask for the order right um and in my 23 year career that may be the most satisfying drive back to knoxville because i, I felt like i knew at that point we had built a relationship we'd created the opportunity and it was just a matter of sitting down and be able to talk through what opportunities exist. Um, and, and this, this individual and this client was all about the relationship and it has always been about the relationship. And we never got, we've never gotten bogged down on those afterthought things that you talk about. Right. Um, Cause and, and not shifting gears, but you talk about those afterthought things for those that are negotiating deals those afterthoughts become things that take up so much time and in the reality aren't necessarily going to make a difference on whether the sponsorship is successful or not. It, it's, it's this, the, the buyer and seller both feeling like they got that another ounce or two out of the turnip. 
Right. Um, right. And they can they can sleep better because of that. But uh, that, that was one of my favorite closing stories ever, because I never even asked for the order. And and we walked out of there with a whole new signage package and presentation for Neyland Stadium. That's awesome. That's awesome. We had a uh, completely different tenor. Um, I'm going to tell a, a story or two from my Buccaneer days when I was in your shoes. Uh, we were selling at the time we were trying to have uh, an official fast food and it, this was a different era, right? There's no, there's no social media. There's no internet. There's anything else. We're basically what you're buying is a huge signage package uh, and then the IP rights. So I had a particular fast food that was, it's the dominating fast food in the market. I mean, they, they have like 55% market share here. So I talked to them for two years and they just were so close, but they never said yes. And it's just, it's driving me nuts. I, I put all these different packages together and they just didn't see the need to say yes. They just felt like number one, we were a terrible football team. Number two, they just didn't have any pressure to say yes. So this is probably not ethical. But what I did next was I went to, I had a huge sign on the outside of the stadium. And I went to our outdoor company who I had trade with and I gave them the logo of one of their competitors. And I oh, said, wow. I want you to put it up there and just put a gigantic logo for the competitor up there and just put it on the stadium. And I'm just, I just, that's it. They're not paying, no one, this company didn't pay me. I'm just giving them a free sign for 30 days. So they put up that sign 24 hours after the sign went up. I get a call from, from the, the competitor and says, what did you do? I said, well, I'm going to tell you, this is not a permanent situation. Uh, this particular client's only going to be up there for 30 days. So it's up to you how you want to handle this. Because after this 30 days, I'm going to, the category is going to be open again. And we got it closed. How about that? Well, you've got to, you've got to use all the tools at your discretion. <laughs> if that's what it takes to get someone's attention. Um, and, hey, you mentioned something just a second ago that it takes, sometimes it takes years to get things done. I will tell you early in my career, I probably was somewhat short-sighted in the sense that I would prospect a company, go meet with a company, have a presentation. And then ultimately for whatever reason, they couldn't pull the trigger and I would move on. And I've learned now years into this, that if you continue to show the prospect attention, even when they're not expecting it, usually that's going to fall back in your favor. And, yeah. you know, I've had plenty of presentations that we, we have in the spring and the summer for a fall campaign and we can't get there. So rather than just cutting bait and moving on, I keep that, that client, that prospect top of mind. And so when we're getting ready to kick off the season, I'll send them a note with a copy of the souvenir program. Um, just small touch points to say, hey, you're still on my mind. I'm still thinking about you. Even just small conceptual ideas. Uh, hey, we ran this social media post with this client. Look how many views it got, you know. And so there, there's, there's small touch points like that. And it all goes back to the relationship building and the fact that the client begins to understand that, man, if I do partner with him, he's all in for us. This is the kind of attention that we're going to get. He really does care about what he does. He does care about his clients. And sometimes they need to see that versus the very black and white business decision. It's a great um, point. I mean, we, we, we thematically come back to the same point over and over again, Brandon. I mean, we've said done it on every one of our podcasts. It is ultimately about relationships. And so that closing, even with someone that barely knows you, if they do know you or they get to know you, 
then that gigantic orange tail you have becomes more important to them. Yeah, we're going to win them over. We're going to win them yeah. over. And, yeah. it, and it's doing all the little things that, that most don't go the extra mile to do. That's right. Um, that's and, right. and it's, it's about effort and rolling up your sleeves and going to work. Well, folks, that's all the time we have today. So thank you all our listeners who are downloading the podcast. We have more and more of you every single week. So all those uh, sports idiots out there, thank you for listening to Brandon and I ramble for 20 to 30 minutes every week. We appreciate it. We'll be back in another two weeks for another edition of Knox Talk. So on behalf of the devilishly good-looking Brandon Parks, I am Paul Sickman with Knox Sports. See you next time.